here I am preaching to a mostly empty building again. But I know that you're there, and so I'm grateful for the connection we have in this way. As cubs, three of the world's top predators, a lion, a Bengal tiger, and an American black bear, had been owned by a drug dealer who didn't take proper care of them. He, he neglected them, he abused them. The bear's harness that he wore grew into his skin because the owner didn't alter it as the animal grew. They had been abused and neglected early in life, but they were finally rescued. The bear's harness was surgically removed and all three have recovered 100%. They were taken to the Noah's Ark Animal Sanctuary in the state of Georgia. Now, the staff initially tried to separate them because, uh, I mean, these are three large predators, right? And you would think they would fight. But in separation, they acted out all the more. They were uncooperative. But once they were reunited, they calmed down. They behaved well. Twelve years later, these three friends (laughs) spend their days together just playing, cuddling, chasing each other, and eating cookies. How is that possible? Their long association from an early age and their dependence on one another in time of abuse and difficulty formed them. It transformed them in such a way that they did not know they were supposed to be enemies. In a way, they were new creatures. I think today is a good opportunity for us as church to once again press into who we are as a community, to self-examine, to renew our commitments, to understand why we're here. I mean, what is it about the church that forms us, transforms us, that we can transcend the enemy-making culture that's so prevalent all around us? Now, we've been talking about these things for months because the, the lectionary has been bringing them forward, and uh, we've been talking about them in the, in the context of, of pandemic and injustice and polarization. So probably this is going to sound a little familiar, quite a bit of it. And these trials that are going on in the world can overwhelm and divide us if we don't make room for the Holy Spirit to speak, to encourage, to challenge, to, to give life. You know, it's important to know who we are and whose we are and what difference that makes. St. Boniface held that the church is like a great ship being pounded by the waves of life's different stresses. Our duty is not to abandon the ship, he said, but to keep her on course. Israel had been busy, hadn't they? I mean, their entry into the promised land was actually a time of great crisis for them. I mean, they spent all these years uh, after deliverance in the wilderness, and uh, their anticipation was, we're going to go into the land, we're going to take it, we're going to have our new home. But it actually was a time of great trial and struggle. They had to take that land that God had set aside for them. It meant conflict after conflict, war and battle and skirmish. Finally, though, peace was achieved, and they began to settle into the place that they had longed for. After many years, their leader, who throughout that time of capturing the land, Joshua, is nearing the end of his life. And he calls the tribes together in order to give kind of a farewell blessing for them and a challenge, and also to renew covenant. 
honoring the special relationship of God with his people. And so in our Old Testament reading today, this is what we have. We have uh, Joshua chapter 24, but also chapter 23. They look back, don't they? They rehearse all that God had done for Israel. But they also look forward with a clear call to remain loyal and faithful to the God who had set them free and brought them into their inheritance. Because if not, that special relationship would suffer. And they would experience the pain of that brokenness. So I think the first thing that uh, we see here, and, and what was so important for Israel, is that they live in gratitude for all that the Lord had done for them. Now, you'll notice if you look at the, at the lectionary, and the lectionary often does this. I, I, I guess I understand why, but uh, sometimes it breaks up a passage. It'll start at the beginning of a chapter, and then it'll skip a bunch, and then it'll that'll kind of wrap it up. And it does that today. And, 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 and what we miss is all the rehearsing of what God says, these are the things I've done for you. So if you look at uh, 24, chapter 24, which you have printed in the bulletin, um, here's some of the things that you miss. Then I sent Moses and Aaron. I afflicted the Egyptians. When I brought your people out of Egypt, I brought you to the land of the Amorites. I would not listen to Balaam. I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, and you live in them. You eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. The word I appears over and over again. And the people are called to acknowledge this. It's their story. It's how they've come to be to this place. And it's important to get it right. They are who they are and where they are because God made it so. And when they understand that, they can live in worship and thanksgiving. They can live with appropriate gratitude. In the passage from Romans 12 today, which by the way is not in the lectionary, um, and I sort of requested that because I think there's a way in which it is in conversation with, with Joshua. And I appreciate Susan reading all of Romans 12 from the message. So it is different than what we've had printed. Paul says he's writing out of deep gratitude for all that God has given. He reminds the Roman Christians that they're not bringing their goodness to God, but God is bringing it to them. Eugene Peterson has Paul say it this way, the only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us. Gratitude. For Redeemer, that means rehearsing all of God's goodness to us over the years. The many gifts we've received, the joy of our fellowship, the vitality of our worship, the healing and sending that we've been privileged to be a part of, the relationships of of solidarity that we've been given and that we treasure. And to know this has all been God's doing, his gifts to us. It wasn't our special skill. It wasn't our strategy. It wasn't even a plan. When we look around at the church and the people and the ministry, God says to us, I did this. I did this. Sure, we got to be a part of it. And that is also a gift. 
and it fills our hearts with gratitude. As Margaret Visser wrote in her book, The Gift of Thanks, she said, gratitude is like soil and oil and glue. It's soil out of which rich fruit can emerge. It's like oil because gratitude can lubricate things when they get a little tricky and tense. And it's a glue that holds people together when we're in danger of flying apart. So today, we renew our desire to live as grateful people for all that God has done. Joshua also calls on the people to renew a radical and singular commitment to God. You know, it appears that the Israelites had a problem with syncretism. That is, the other religions and allegiances that they had picked up along the way. I mean, uh, in, in the passage, it's even clear that before Abraham, they were worshiping other gods. And then in Egypt, there were other gods. And it seems like they've brought all these along with them down through the centuries. They've kind of accumulated. Now it was time for them to make a clear choice. Now that they were in the land, now that they've received the promise of God and were living under the blessing of that, it was clear it was time to be clear about who they were and whose they were. Joshua famously says, you have to choose. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. <laughs> uh, I guess it's a great bumper sticker, and you see it that way, but um, it's much richer than that, because the backdrop of that are all of the things that have to be chosen against. Right? It's saying yes to God. It's saying no to so many other things. And if you notice, if you, remember, if you see here, Joshua is not convinced by their initial response. It's a little too easy. He warns them, don't just give lip service to this. Your situation now and in the future depends on it. Paul tells the Romans something very similar. He urges them to a singular commitment to the Lord by offering all they are to God and away from the corrupt patterns of the world. He says that's the path to knowing God's will. I mean, this is how we discern the kingdom, isn't it? By rejecting idols and ideologies. By clearing our lives of things that draw us away from God, that claim our attention and energy and conflict with the life of God's kingdom. Because when we start chasing after those things, we lose the ability to hear God. And the flow of God's healing presence through the church is affected. I have to tell you, this is convicting to, uh, to me as I've read it. I've had to do some soul searching. Where have we added to or corrupted the gospel of the kingdom? Where have we muddied the waters of our devotion to the Lord? I mean, we live in grace and under mercy, don't we? I don't want this to sound like a heavy judgment. But the, vo the Lord's voice of love calls us as believers and as a church to renew our love for the Lord. To see this time in the world as a rich opportunity to do just that. To reject the things that compete with it. Let's renew that today. Let's renew that today. Now it may not be as obvious in the Joshua passage, but commitment to God leads us to renew our commitment to others. Sound familiar? It sounds like that sermon we did recently to God <laughs> and to others, the two great commandments. Yet Old Testament scholar Gene Tucker observes that covenant, the covenant here in Joshua, not only binds people to God, but also people to people. 
Israel has identity as a people only because of God's covenant with them. And I mean, this is a major theme of Paul's writing to his churches, isn't it? And Peter picks it up as well. Peter says, you weren't even a people before, but now you are. And Paul has to address it because there's so much division. There's so much um, just conflict around difference. But in Christ, we're no longer defined by all of the identity markers we bring with us. We're no longer enemies, and we refuse to go there. Instead, we are given as gifts to one another. And each person in the body has dignity and worth, and each one is actually necessary. To be the church today requires a commitment to one another that runs absolutely counter to the division that we see all around us. And I'm not just talking about civility or being nice or just getting along, but pressing into a robust unity that may be costly yet true. And we've heard over the last uh, number of weeks these things that go into that. Forgiveness, care, understanding, listening. Now, I know it's much harder to live into this when we're not physically together, isn't it? It is. It's also more difficult to keep short accounts. It's more difficult to have uh, hard conversations and to learn about things that are difficult to learn. But I do know that Redeemer is a community that has actually done pretty well with difference over the years. I mean, I think we're a community that we can absorb that, and we've, we've walked well with that. I mean, a book even came out of Redeemer. I mean, it's not our book, but Scott McKnight wrote a book on uh, celebrating difference. And it was kind of rooted in our community. I think we've, we, we're generally pretty good at this, and I want to encourage us to continue to put that front and center in a way that says, no, this is, it's important not to lose sight of that. It's, it's important not to step away from what Paul says here in Romans 12, what he also brings to us in, in 1 Corinthians. You know, the good news is, of this is that the unity that we have in Christ is a gift and a work of the Spirit. We don't have to create it, just yield our hearts to it. Now, we can frustrate it, right? And we can reject it. We can refuse to honor the gifts of others. But if we give our attention to it in love and humility, then we can live in a beautiful and rich unity that the world cannot even imagine, but desperately desires. Love from the center of who you are. That was one of the lines there in Romans 12 in the message. Love defined as a decision of the will to be faithful to each other. It means saying, you are more important to me than my need to be right. You are more important to me than my need to be right. Christians are not called to be the church of us versus them, in David Fitch's words. There's only one banner under which we gather to worship and serve and live. And when we do life together marked by a radical commitment to God and to one another, then the Spirit opens up a transforming place that's beyond all of the disagreements, where the kingdom is present to bring life and healing. This is not necessarily middle ground, it's other ground. A totally different space where we can be present with the trials and pain in the world in the reality of God's kingdom focused on bringing about his life to those right here, right in our communities and neighborhoods. 
And that is a place of grace and goodness. That's the place where the cares of the world are worn loosely. They're not ignored. They're not set aside, but they're entered into with the hope of God's purposes. Paul gives us a number of examples here. And I think, you know, as I heard it read again, as Susan was reading, I thought, you know, this is what, this is what you teach in kindergarten. You know, this is what you teach children and what we should teach. And now we need to come back and teach adults, right? The same kinds of things. Paul even includes the quotation from Proverbs to minister to our enemy. You know, the church is not about enemies. I don't know if you knew that. It's, it's, it's really not. It's about showing the love of God in action. It's about what is pursuing what is good and true and beautiful. Practicing hospitality, Paul says. Being at peace with others. Joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer, the NIV has. It's about overcoming evil with good. You know, there's such a shortage of that right now, isn't there? And I have to admit that I grieve that I don't see enough of it when I look in the mirror. We live in conflicted times. And you know, there's always some expression of that in a world that's broken. There always has been. But I think we're just feeling it keenly in 2020. Redeemer is an expression of God's kingdom, not the kingdoms of the world. And the more we have a vision of that and press into it and all that it entails, the more it will be clear to us how to offer the Lord's salvation and healing to those around us. So today, if I can call us to, to just step once again, renew once again our desire to live in gratitude, to renew our devotion and commitment in a singular way to the Lord, to let mutual commitment and love be the way that we are formed and transformed in unity so that we can see the kingdom of God released in the world with grace and goodness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.